This is True Crime Exposed, and I'm your host, Kayla Waters. Thanks for joining my co-host, Alicia Jenkins, every week as we dive into a new case with you. We aim to share the victim's story and give them a voice back when they no longer have one. And by doing so, we expose the monsters lurking all around us. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I am covering the Salem witch trials. I have always been interested in witch trials in general because it's wild to me that this happened to real people. These literal witch hunts are not make-believe. They are things that people back in the days really believed, and many people were murdered for being a so-called witch. The persecution done to these people was wrong and horrific. With that, are you ready for today's case? Okay, so I've always been really curious about the Salem witch trials, which um, you obviously know what they are. Probably everybody does if they live here in the United States. Um, And we learned about them in school and stuff, but I never really dove deep into the victims and what exactly went down. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Do you know, like, a lot of the specifics? I thought we did one on it early on. No, but we did a witch trial, like, out of Europe. Mm. But not the Salem witch trials. I've always wondered about them because they seem fake. Like, you know, you think of it and it doesn't seem like a real thing. Mm-hmm. But, like, this happened to real people. It's, like, weird to think that this could ap- actually happen. Just to people <laughs> like us. Like, these were just well, regular yeah. humans walking just like around. like the lynchings. Of I know. That just barely happened. All the thing. What do you mean that just barely happened? Well, it wasn't too long ago. Well, yeah. All of that stuff just seems, like, unreal. Mm-hmm. That that really happened in our world. So... I'll just start with a little background into the time leading up to the witch trials, which occurred in 1692. So in 1542, the Witchcraft Act was passed in England, and this outlawed witchcraft and made it punishable by death. And then by 1644, the English government created the position called the Witchfinder General. And from 645 to 647, a man named Matthew Hopkins deemed himself as the Witchfinder General. And Matthew was responsible for the accusation of many women and sent at least 300 of these accused witches to their execution. And because of his expertise on the matter, he wrote a book called The Discovery of Witches. And this book laid out different ways to determine if someone was a witch or not. And it was. I was going to say, what is the actual definition? Of a witch. I don't honestly think they even had a specific definition. It was just like anyone whose behavior to them was a little weird. Yeah. Usually like women. Weird. What it, I mean, like the people that used herbs. A lot of times it's like women who are a little abrasive, like are outspoken. People who don't go to church. Stuff like that is for what it was in Salem. Hmm. 
I think a lot of t like in the Europe one, you I remember. I know. <laughs> I would be accused for sure. I thought that during this, I was like, I would not have lasted. I would not have survived this. And yeah, it was just like anyone who was like poor or different. Yeah. And then sometimes even people who like were a little more wealthy started being accused. And a lot of times it was because it was like a woman who owned some land, which was unusual. And the men didn't love that. But then there were also men accused as well. Hmm. So usually it's because their wife was accused and then they got accused next. Oh, geez. So, yeah, he writes this book, this uh, Matthew Hopkins and he stated that if you throw an accused witch into the water, then you can determine if they are truly a witch by whether they float or sink. So he said you tie them up and then you throw them into a lake or a pond and then the person would either drown and die, which would prove their innocence, or they would float. And then they would be proved in their minds to be a witch and then they would die because they would be executed. So either way, you died. <laughs> oh, I was like, I thought you made a mistake. No. I was like, you would drown and die. Or you would be a witch so. and die. <laughs> yeah, not and a you mistake. you were innocent. It's like, that's how. I was going to say, doesn't everybody sink eventually? Yeah. Especially when you're tied up. Yeah. So, yeah. But then they'd be like, oh. But some, I think, doesn't fat float. <laughs> so maybe the fatter people floated longer. I don't know. <laughs> You were going to do better if you were heavier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it just like make it makes no sense, which is why it's crazy that it really happened to people just like us. Like we just were walking around believing like. <laughs> but that's if like. If they drown, they die. But I, at least I feel innocent. like it's so weird that you think that's so weird that that happened. But just like, I mean, I guess just a little bit before I was born, the people like what I, they people were putting like the blacks through yeah I, like that's what blows my mind well I just that blows my mind too can't ever and but that was like not that long ago it wasn't that long ago but like the whole segregation and everything like just the fact that they like literally had to go to different schools and like that blows right, my mind that, that was does our, blow my mind our time <laughs> i know <laughs> these it does witches blow my were mind. like well, a couple hundred years ago mm. right yeah, but I do think there, I mean, I guess if you think about it, there are things happening today too that probably people in a hundred years are going to be like, that blows my mind. All those people believed that, uh, you know, yeah, you know what I'm saying. So anyway, that was just a crazy way that you would find um, out if someone was a witch or not, but either way they died. And then another way Matthew said you could discover a witch was by searching their body for marks of the devil. And this would be moles or birthmarks. So Willow would not live because my daughter has a large birthmark on the back of her leg. So, I mean, it's not huge, but... It's pretty big. I wonder if it will get bigger. As she, she keeps getting bigger as she grows. Oh, okay. Like it stretches with her leg. But, yeah, so if you had a mole or a birthmark, which I think... I mean, I have a mole. Yeah, I do I too. Moles. I think 90% of... 99% of people probably <laughs> have some mark on their body. I don't think their skin's just perfectly pure. So Matthew's book and ideas would have a profound influence on the phenomenon that does happen in Salem Village in 1692. And before the infamous Salem witch trials, there were 11 women and one man in Massachusetts who had already been executed. 
So this was already going on, but each of those executions were isolated versus the large mass hysteria that ends up going down in Salem. Isn't the world weird? It's so weird. Like how people think they can just kill people like that? Yeah. It's people are just weird. I think. How did they get that? Like, how did the white people like just get this complex that they were superior? I don't know. It's It's weird. So odd. Or like, or like religious people, like the Puritans, people, like think they're better than. Like you're not coming to church. You must be a witch. We're going to kill you. It's (laughs) so weird. That's what I'm saying. Like it's so interesting to me that this is a real life event that truly happened. I can't get past it. So, there was this history of conflict in close villages like Salem Village. The towns were small, people were bored, and the neighbors loved to gossip. They loved stirring the pot, and they loved creating drama. They would dispute with each other over property lines, livestock, people leaving the church, and many other things. And all of this goes down in what was called Salem Village, which is now today actually the town of Danvers, not modern day Salem. So there's like a Salem city, but that's not where this is. It was in Danvers, Massachusetts, but back then was called Salem Village. And during this time, the Puritan church was a big, big influence and they were a bit strict with their beliefs and how they expected the community to live. I guess there was a large influx of Quakers who were coming to the area, which the Puritans considered pagan and of the devil. So the Quakers were threatening to them. And they also believed that the Native Americans' beliefs were evil. So pretty much anything outside of Puritan, evil. And they didn't do Christmas or Easter holidays. They were forbidden. Music and dancing was forbidden. And if someone decided not to go to church one day, which the Puritans held on Sunday and Wednesday, then the members of the church would come to their house and be like, what's up? Why didn't you come? (laughs) And so the neighbors and the community, they were all far too involved in each other's lives. Yes. Which is why I would not survive this. I would hate that. (laughs) Like, just let someone stay home sick without coming to their house. So this mindset came from sermons and encouragement of higher-up officials Governor John Winthrop, he laid out the famous City on a Hill sermon, and he basically encouraged the judgment of each other and put it on the community to hold each other accountable to the Puritan church beliefs and rules. So everyone watched their neighbors closely, and they pointed out any errors in behavior. And this obviously did not strengthen the bonds of the community. Instead, it resulted in bitter disputes and resentment. So, on May 27th, 1692, the governor of Massachusetts, William Phipps, he creates a new judiciary court of Aller and Terminer. I don't know exactly how it's pronounced, but this court consists of eight judges. Jonathan Corwin, Bartholomew Getney, John Hawthorne, John Richards, Samuel Seawall, Peter Sargent, Waitstill Winthrow, and William Stoughton. And William Stoughton was the chief magistrate. And then another key player in the witch trials was Reverend Samuel Paris. Oh, yeah. And then also the discrimination against women. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That was there's, recent, too. I know. There's so, so many stupid. things. Women, like, didn't have bank accounts until, like, 1970s, which is, like, after 
your parents were born. How, how, how? It's so weird. I know. The world is just really odd. And we're in it right now, but I mean, there are odd things happening. So in a hundred years, they'll be like, those people were really odd. (laughs) (laughs) So this Samuel Paris, the reverend, he had taken over this role with the local Puritan church. Um, But when he arrived in 1689, only about half of the congregation supported him. He just didn't have a great personality for leadership or resolving conflicts. Instead of like resolving conflicts, he would constantly look out for bad behavior in the members of the church. He would point it out. He would humiliate them in front of the rest of the congregation to atone for their sins. So no wonder half of the people like hated him. I also wouldn't have been a fan. So it's Samuel Paris's daughter and niece who start off this whole tragic mess. And this is Betty Paris, who is under 10 years old. I've seen it reported as seven years old and some reported as nine years old. So she's young. And then Abigail Williams, his niece, is age 11. They start having these fits. They're screaming. They're falling on the floor, contorting their bodies. They're throwing things. They're yelling out that they've been pinched by something. They're just acting really strange. The Paris family is like, we've got to get this under control. So they take the girls to a doctor who says that there are no physical ailments and that the girls, they just have been bewitched. Now the Paris family is freaked out. The word spreads quickly in a small town. And soon the townspeople are pressuring the girls to tell them who is bewitching them. So more young girls join them between the ages of under 10 years old to about 20 years old. Like, join them in acting this In acting this out. So, this is all started literally from teenage girls. And then people just went with it. pre-teens. Yeah. Little girls to teenage girls. It is so weird. And then people were like, yeah, we believe them. And then, like, almost 20 people are executed, murdered. And the girls, in the end, do admit that they made it up. Oh, my gosh. So, I'm like, why would you ever go based off anything that a young teenage girl or younger would say teenage girls can be a little crazy from my own personal life experience oh my gosh. including myself you're just dramatic you don't really care about what other people's feelings or the consequences of your actions <laughs> like it's just wild so all of these girls are under 20 years old some as young as 10 or even younger and the accusers are Betty Paris, Abigail Williams, Elizabeth Booth, Elizabeth Hubbard, Mercy Lewis, Susanna Sheldon, Mary Walcott, Mary Warren, and Anne Putnam Jr., who is about 12 years old. And Anne really takes the role of the leader here, and she becomes the main accuser. Her family is super involved in the accusations and testimonies against the witches because a lot of the people accused are people they have legal disputes with. So Anne would just accuse them. And then they'd get murdered. Oh. And she's kind of, even though she's 12. Like her family had legal disputes with them? Yeah. And then Anne would just accuse them. Okay. So Anne, even though she's 12, she's kind of what you would call a brat. So the the people most likely to be targeted, like I was saying earlier, were women 
women who went through menopause and could no longer have children, widowed women, women who were to inherit money or land, and women who were more aggressive or abrasive with their personalities. So the first three women accused of witchcraft by the girls and community are Sarah Warren Osborne, Sarah Solark Good, and Tichuba. Sarah Osborne was the widow of Robert Osborne, and she had not been attending church for three years leading up to her accusation. And the reason she was no longer going to church was because she was ill, like she had a sickness. But that apparently was not a good enough reason to avoid suspicion of evil. And then the real reason she was probably accused was because she was in a legal dispute with the Putnam family. This made her an enemy of Anne Putnam Jr. and the rest of the family. So Sarah Osborne, she was actually never officially tried or indicted, but she was arrested and held in the jail where she died in May of 1692. And she probably died because of the conditions in the jail, which I'll talk about a little later. Yeah. And like the conditions were horrible. So that just tied together. She ends up dying before she can be tried. She probably would have been executed anyway. I wonder if their family is like their mom or dad. Like put it in their head. Yeah. Like the young girls. Yeah. Obviously. I feel like. Because how would they know? Yeah. I feel like they were pushing them. Like oh what about that girl? And then you'll see like some of the people. Like Samuel Paris's daughter. You know kind of starts off the accusations. And a lot of the people who are accused. Are people who didn't support him. As the reverend. Like, mm. and then there's a lot of family connections. So it's all kind of people these families don't like, and then their families. It's crazy. So Tichuba, she was the slave of Reverend Samuel Paris. And when his daughter and niece are being asked who has bewitched them, they say it was her because she believes in folk magic and she tells fortunes. And I guess this wasn't actually a super unusual belief among the Puritans. They thought that these fortunes could ward off witchcraft. So originally it wasn't thought of as evil, but once they accuse Tichuba, they think this fortune telling is odd. And Tichuba ends up confessing. She only confessed after a brutal beating, which the investigators would do this on purpose. They would try to torture or beat confessions out of people. And that oftentimes worked because people just wanted it to end. George Corwin was one of these vicious interrogators. He would use sleep deprivation. Devices were placed inside of the accused bodies and those devices would then be expanded. People were cut. They were held down in water. And his most famous method was the he would tie um, like a rope to their neck and then he would tie that rope to their ankles. So from their neck to their ankles was tied and he would slowly pull that until blood shot out of their nose. So I think like bending them back like, you know, kind of in a scorpion position. Ew. Yeah. So obviously... A lot of people would just confess. Yeah. Just to be like, to get, out of get me pain. out of this. So Tichuba, she ends up saying, yes, the devil came to me and he asked me to serve him. And this actually saved her life. And then, unfortunately, she names other people. But it's probably out of fear and to help keep the focus off of herself. And what's weird is it seems if you confess to the witchcraft, it saved your life. So they're basically only killing all the people who do not waver in their innocence. All Mm. the people who are like, absolutely not. I haven't done it. They're executed. 
But anyone who confessed was let go. They would just be let go homeless because once they were accused, the government took their land. So their life was ruined once they were accused, but they lived. Very odd. Yeah. You'd almost wonder if you'd want to die. I know. It's just, it's like no good outcome once you're accused, pretty much. So the third woman, the third woman of the three accused was Sarah Solark Good, who was 39 years old. She was the wife of William Good and was known as an outcast. She was known for begging and she was accused of sickening local livestock. And then her father, John Solart, he had committed suicide by drowning in 1672, which only added to the stigma around her. And during her trial, Ann Putnam Jr. was deposed on March 3, 1962. And during this deposition, Ann claimed to have seen the spirit of Dorothy Good. Dorothy is Sarah Good's daughter. And Ann Putnam Jr. claimed that this apparition of Dorothy, so Dorothy's alive, like she's not dead, but Ann claimed she could see her spirit come to her. And Dorothy's spirit choked her tortured her by biting her and pinching her and Dorothy also tempted her to write in her witch's book now take a guess at how old Dorothy is Sarah Good's daughter Mm, 13 four oh my she's a four-year-old baby (laughs) a literal toddler Dorothy is taken into custody on March 24th, 1692, and she is not released until December 10th, 1962. At four years old. old. And the family couldn't freak out. Yeah. And during this time, her mom, Sarah Good, went to trial on June 29th and was executed July 19th. Sarah was also pregnant with another baby at the time of her execution. And Dorothy's dad could not get her out of jail until he got $50 to pay for Dorothy's release. The family was poor, and $50 back then would have been over $4,000 today. So this wasn't easy for him, and it's probably why a four-year-old was in there for months. Because he had to get the money to get her out. And... Let me describe what these witch gels are so you can imagine where this four-year-old is being held. The accused witches were all held in the basements of these gels, very similar to what you would think of when you think of a dungeon. They were considered the most dangerous prisoners. The basements were dark, cold, and damp. Water ran down the walls and filled the floors. The gel was infested with water rats and smelled like urine, excrement, and death because many people died down there. The accused witches were chained to walls because they were so dangerous and they had their limbs weighted down while being held. So again, this is where a four-year-old child, a child, is being held after Ann Putnam Jr. accuses her of witchcraft. And when Dorothy's released in December of 1692, it's reported that she was never the same again and suffered severe psychological damage. Oh, obviously. Isn't that sad? Yeah. A four-year-old, your mom is killed and you are in this dungeon for a month. I can't imagine. So, yeah. That's why people hate Ann Putnam Jr. Yeah. I was going to say, how did these girls get away with it? Everyone is like, she sucks. (laughs) So, 
Those were the first three people accused, but the first person actually executed in the Salem witch trials was Bridget Playfer Oliver Bishop, who was in her 50s. She had already been accused of witchcraft once before this, so she was an easy target. She was a woman known for an abrasive tongue. She was opinionated and outspoken, and this made her community dislike her. Five of the bewitch girls accused her, Abigail Williams, Anne Putnam Jr., Mercy Lewis, Mary Walcott, and Elizabeth Hubbard. Bridget was accused of wearing red bodices and keeping a tavern where people could play shuffleboard. She was first married to Thomas Oliver, a businessman, and then later married Edward Bishop, who was the owner of a sawmill. And she was accused of tormenting the girls. And then later they searched her house and they found puppets and dolls, which were forbidden in the Puritan culture. They were considered voodoo dolls. So she told the courts that she knew nothing about what these girls were accusing her of. And she was completely innocent. But she was hanged on June 10th, 1960. Not 1962, 1692. Mm. Yeah, because she had dolls in her house. It's like, okay. So all of these hangings were done at Proctor's Ledge at the bottom of Gallows Hill. And again, every person that was hung entered into a plea of innocent. And then after they died, they just like buried them right there, but really didn't even bury them in graves. They'd like put them between the rocks. They just kind of threw them in shallow graves. And that is where most of them still lay. There's only a couple of people whose families came and got them and gave them like a marked known grave Two people who I think is Rebecca Nurse and Giles Corey, but I'm not 100% sure. Are the only ones left? The only ones that like we know there's a marked grave. The rest of them are just believed to be buried right there at the site. Oh, okay. So with these accusations, once a person was accused, you would often see their family being accused after. So Bridget Bishop's stepchildren were also accused. Her son, Edward Bishop Jr., no, her stepson, Edward Bishop Jr., and his wife, Sarah Bishop, were accused in April of 1692. And it's said that Sarah was the daughter of John Wilde, who was a local judge. Sarah was found guilty on June 29th and executed on July 19th. John had another daughter named Phoebe Wilde, who was also accused and arrested for witchcraft, but I don't think she was executed. However, John's wife, Sarah Wilde, was. His daughter, Sarah, from was from a previous marriage. So his wife, Sarah, and his daughter, Sarah, like, I don't think Sarah Wilde is Sarah Bishop's mom. Okay. That's his new wife, so it would have been Sarah Bishop's stepmom. Sarah Wilde was 65 years old. She had a bad reputation from brushes with the law because in in 1649, she was accused of fornicating out of wedlock. And in 1653, she was accused of wearing a silk scarf. Mm. I guess that's not allowed. (laughs) A silk scarf. So... She married, you know, after this, she marries widower John Wilde in 1663. And his brother, or their friends, I don't know who they are. I'm pretty sure their family, maybe his cousin. It's John Gold and Mary Gold. They hated her. They hated Sarah Wilde so much that in 1670, they start spreading rumors that she was a witch. 
These rumors continued for years until Sarah got so pissed off she attacked Mary Gold while she was on the roadway and Sarah pulled her off of her horse. And like, I don't know, hit her, yelled at her, but this did not give Sarah Wilde a good look. And um, Mary Gold was close family friends with the Putnams. So the Putnams accused Sarah Wilde in 1692. Oh my gosh. And then in March of 16... It had to have been... They had to have been the ringleaders, not yeah. their children. Yeah. It, but it was Anne Putnam Jr. who was the, you know, the one afflicted. Yeah. But definitely her family. Her family testified in tons of the trials. They were there all the time. Like, they were pushing for these people. They were almost like a mini Hitler, just trying to take out anybody they didn't like. Yeah. Anyone who, like, wasn't what they thought they should be, they, like, wanted to wipe them out. Mm. It was crazy. So, in March of 1692, the mass accusations had started. Those accused in March were Martha Rich Corey, Rebecca Town Nurse, and Rachel Hatfield Clinton. Martha Corey was the wife of Giles Corey. She had spoken up loudly against the witchcraft accusations and had given birth to a child out of wedlock before her marriage to Giles. Out of fear, Giles ends up testifying against his wife, saying that maybe she did bewitch him and their farm an- animals, which I'm like, I'd be so freaking mad. Oh my. Like, excuse you. But him testifying against her, it wasn't enough to save him because he would be accused as well. Well, yeah, if their farm animals have something wrong with them too. Yeah. <laughs> then it's like he really just... He's involved in this, and they took him out, too. So Martha Corey's trial was on September 9th, and before she was executed on September 22nd, Giles was killed. Giles had been a faithful member of the church, but he had once been accused of theft. So along with his wife being found guilty, he was suspicious. Giles Corey died just three days before his wife on September 19th, 1692, and he was tortured to death. He was the only accused witch that was not executed by hanging. All the others executed had entered a plea of innocent. Those, oh, those accused and confessed were set free, although, like I said, homeless because once accused, their land was seized by the government. And then Giles, he refused to enter a plea at all. He would not confess and he would not say he, 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 I think he was saying he was innocent, but he wouldn't enter that plea of innocent. So he was tortured. He was laid down with a board on top of him where others set large rocks and boulders on top and he was squished to death. Oh my word. Yeah. So he's the only one that wasn't hung, Um, but... This seems like a, his death seems like a very painful death. And one of the last things he said was, damn you, sheriff, I curse you and Salem. And then four years later, George Corwin, that sheriff and torturer, the guy I talked about that tied the neck to the feet and pulled till the blood went out of their nose. Four years later, he did die of a heart attack. And there was another woman, you know, I'm sure a lot of these people who were being executed said different things so one of them said i curse you and you'll die with blood in your mouth and what's weird is every sheriff since george corwin for 300 years all headquartered at the salem jail had died while in office or they were forced out of office 
because of heart or blood problems. Mm. So that is kind of interesting. <laughs> like they the were all cursed. Curse, him. <laughs> curse them. Yeah. Right. It's like their karma. So Rebecca Town Nurse was the widow of Francis Nurse. She was known to have good character and was a church member, but she opposed Samuel Paris's leadership of the church, which made her an enemy of the Paris family. And on top of that, she was involved in legal disputes over land with the Putnams, which made her an enemy of them. So both Betty Paris and Anne Putnam Jr. wanted to target her. Rebecca was 71 years old. And upon an examination of her in March of 1692 by Judge Hawthorne, he asks Ann Putnam, what do you say? Have you seen this woman hurt you? And Ann Putnam says, yes, she beat me this morning. And Judge Hawthorne says, Abigail, have you been hurt by this woman? And Abigail says, yes. Then Ann Putnam starts screaming out and says this woman Rebecca Nurse is hurting her right now then Judge Hawthorne asks Rebecca why they say she's hurting them and she's like I have no idea Rebecca says I'm innocent and God will clear my innocency I have never afflicted no child never in my life she's like I'm sitting here right now and I'm not touching her (laughs) she's like I'm literally not doing this I am just here So there's more conversation, and while Rebecca is claiming innocence, Thomas Putnam's wife cries out, Did you not bring the black hand with you? Did you not tempt God? So again, Putnam's very involved. Yes. Really trying to get Rebecca in trouble and everyone else. And Rebecca says, Oh, Lord, help me. The Lord knows I did not hurt them. I am an innocent person. She says that she is as clear as an unborn child. But the judges are very prejudiced and not objective. And the Putnams do testify against Rebecca in her her trial. But the jury finds her not guilty. Now, as the court is reading this verdict out loud, the accusers, such as Betty and Anne, start flipping out. They're screaming. They start falling on the floor. They're claiming that she's hurting them with witchcraft right then and there. So with this, the jury does reconsider. They find her guilty instead, and she's executed on July 19th, 1692. The jury of men. Probably. Yeah, most likely. So found not guilty. The girls lose their shiz. And then they're like, yeah, never mind. That was weird. She is guilty, I guess. Oh my gosh. Maybe they're just psychotic little girls. Exactly. And I guess this is the first time people in the community are kind of like... This is starting to feel weird. Wow. <laughs> you think? Just barely? <laughs> yeah. So you'll notice that a lot of hangings are done on certain days of the month. So many people were hanged on the same day in July, the same day in August, or the same day in September. There's like July 19th, August 19th, and September 22nd are the main days for execution. So two of Rebecca Nurse's sisters were also ended up being accused in April of 1692. Sarah Town Cloyce and Mary Town Etsy. Both of them were executed. Mary Town Etsy was well-respected and well-liked, but she had already been accused, arrested, and released in May. So she was accused in April. She's arrested and released in May. But then she's accused again only a few days later once she is released. 
And remember, her sister Rebecca was an enemy of the Putnams and the Parises, so she this is likely why she was a target by them. And like her sister, like she got released. Her sister got found not guilty, then was found guilty. She got released, then got rearrested, and was found guilty on September 9th and executed on September 22nd. Rachel Hatfield Clinton was that third person accused back in March. She was one of the first accused, and she was a divorced woman who had already been accused of adultery and witchcraft before this. By April of 1692, many people are being accused. Elizabeth Bassett Proctor is accused, and while her husband John Proctor, age 61, is supporting her, he is accused. Elizabeth was pregnant, so she was found guilty, but I believe she was not executed due to being pregnant, which is weird because they executed Sarah Good, yeah, who was pregnant, but maybe people were, people were like, that's not cool. Like, let's not do that. So they changed their minds on that. So there are two pregnant ladies that end up being saved. Because what's weird is these Salem witch trials don't last long before everyone realizes, like, this is wrong. It's only a, a year. Okay. And then by the following year, they're like, uh. Who stops it? Just the public? It's one of the judges whose, like, wife ends up being accused. And he's like, and he's like this yeah. is not right. <laughs> yeah, nope. We're done with this. <laughs> and then it all ends. Like, it's way faster than I thought. Hmm. Like, they all get accused in, like, March and April. They're all sentenced, executed July, August, September, and then it's done. It's weird. So, anyway, she's pregnant, but she doesn't end up executed, and the Proctor's entire family would end up being arrested for witchcraft, including Mary Warren, who was the family's servant. And John Proctor, he could see that Salem was being insane, and he wrote a letter to the Boston clergy in July asking them to intervene. He asked if they could move the trials to Boston because... Things were not going well there in Salem Village, and the clergy responded but said it was too late to save him. So John was brought to trial on August 5th and executed on August 19th. And then we have Abigail Williams and Deliverance Hobbs, who were both accused of witchcraft. Abigail was 15 and Deliverance was her stepmom. Abigail and Deliverance both confessed, which did save them. And then in turn, they accused Sarah Averell Wild because her son is the one who arrested them. And I think this may be Sarah Wild, who we just spoke about earlier, that was married to John Wild. Mm-hmm. Like there are so many family connections. But yeah, she ended up being accused because Abigail and Deliverance were mad that her son arrested them. Oh, geez. So it's like. I mean, they shouldn't have been accused, but then it's like, stop accusing everybody else. But I think there was some sort of like, it's people like were scared to. Tit for tat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and then I think people were scared, like, okay, maybe if I accuse other people, people aren't, nothing gets me. Mm-hmm. Oh. But it doesn't really make it right that because makes the people the are ending up dead. Yeah. Yeah, it is a vicious cycle. So, one of the shocking accusations was Reverend George Burroughs. He was a former minister of Salem Village. He was a Harvard-educated minister, and he had acu- he was accused by other witches of Andover because they said he was like the head witch. He was in charge of them. 
and his accusers said he was biting them while they testified against him and they produced bite marks and it was said that these bite marks matched George's teeth which I'm sure it didn't. I'm sure they bit themselves. Yeah. And then they were like, see, he bit me, (laughs) which is so crazy. But people in the room also said they could see spirits in the courtroom, including the spirit of his dead wife, and that George used an invisibility cloak. So everyone's just going nuts. Yeah. They are. They've got some pretty wild beliefs here. Now, George cites the Lord's Prayer perfectly at his execution, and it's said that witches cannot do that. Like, they're not able to recite it perfectly. So everyone watching is like, wait, like, is he not a witch? But then he's executed anyway. Mm. So there are more people accused in April of 1692. We have Mary English, Dorcas Galley Hoare, and Susanna North Martin of Amsbury, who was 71 years old. She was the widow of George Martin, and she had been previously accused of being a witch back in 1661. And back then, she was accused of infanticide, so the killing of a baby. But those charges were dropped, and now she was a successful farm owner. She had you know, an abrasive personality. She was outspoken and this made her neighbors mad. So she goes to trial in the end of June and is executed on July 19th, 1692. In May of 1692, 26 more people are indicted. Some of these included Martha Allen Carrier, Martha's sister, Mary Allen Toothacre, and her husband, Roger Toothacre, George Jacobs, and many of his family members, John Willard, Alice Parker, Mary Ayer Parker, Anne Greenslip Pewditor, Wilmot Red, Elizabeth Jackson Howe, Samuel Wardwell, and Abigail Faulkner. So Mary Carrier, Carrier, she is age 33, and a reverend in town named Cotton Mather, He put the blame of this uh, smallpox outbreak on her, and he said that she was the queen of hell. (laughs) She was also an outspoken opponent of the Salem witch trial. She was against them. And her uncle, Reverend Francis Dane of Andover, was like leading a charge against the witch trials. So she gets accused. And then, like I said, her sister, Mary Toothaker, was also accused. Martha was the first person in Andover to be accused. Like, so these, some of them are from nearby Salem Village. They're not all from right in Salem Village. And she was accused by her neighbor named Benjamin over a dispute of their land. And then all of her children were accused and coerced into testifying against their mom. She was executed on August 19th. Then we have George Jacobs Sr. He's 72 years old. A lot of people accused him of being a witch, including his own granddaughter, Margaret Jacobs. And he went to church, but he didn't always want to. Like He was kind of reluctant to go to church and he was also critical of the trials like he was against these witch trials so he was first accused by his servant who was named Sarah Churchill 
And then he also had his son, George Jacob Jr., accused. But George Jacob was not arrested. Uh, George Jacob Jr. wasn't arrested, but George Jacob Sr. was. And of course, the entire Putnam family testified against him. They said that he came to them in a spirit-like state, and he beat them up with a cane. I just keep waiting for people to accuse the Putnams. I know. If only we don't get that luxury (laughs) of hearing that. So he's found guilty on August 5th and executed on August 19th. And he is one of the people whose family retrieved him from the execution site and gave him a marked grave. So I actually think it was him. I I said I thought it was Rebecca and Giles. I think it was Rebecca and George. Him. Then we have John Willard. He was a deputy constable. So this is like one of the police officers, basically. And he had arrested people for witchcraft. But after a few arrests, he was feeling guilty about it. He didn't think it was right. And so he decided to quit his job and he started speaking out against the witch trials, which in turn had Anne Putnam Jr. accuse him. And she claimed that one of her baby sisters who had died, that he was the reason. This is a 10-year-old. Yeah, 12. 12-year-old. Yeah. So you know it's her parents. Yeah. It's her family. Yeah. It's like the Putnam suck. <laughs> and I wonder if she like grew up to feel guilty. Like she grew up and was like, that was, that she was messed was up. really brainwashed. Yeah. So John Willard, not only was he accused by Ann Putnam, but then once he's accused, his wife's grandfather comes out and is like, yep, he's a witch. I got sick after he gave me like a side eye and... I know he's a witch. So this grandfather is named Bray Wilkins. And then after he accuses John, Bray's grandson is found dead in May of 1692. And this is Daniel Wilkins. He had been beaten to death. And the court said he died at the hands of witchcraft. So they issue an arrest warrant for John Willard, who had already fled Salem. Once he was once his name was out there, he left. But he goes to New Hampshire where a second arrest warrant is issued and he is arrested. Several confessed witches testify against him. And Anne Putnam Jr. says that she saw the spirits of many people John Willard had murdered. He was executed on August 19th. Alice Parker was the wife of fisherman John Parker and she was suspicious because she had scolded her husband once in public for drinking. And people didn't like that. Although she was known as an honest woman, she also had this reputation of maybe being clairvoyant. So she had a friend whose husband died at sea. And apparently she had predicted that, like that she thought the husband had died at sea. It turned out to be true. So therefore she's a witch. And um, they said that Alice, oh no. Elizabeth Warren, one of the afflicted girls, one of the girls who was being bewitched, she said that Alice was the reason her mom died, the reason her sister was sick, and the reason that many boys had drowned at sea. So Alice Parker was executed on September 22nd. Mary Parker was about 40 years old. She was a widow and she was accused by Sarah Phelps and Martha Sprague of Andover. 
And I guess it was another lady named Mary Parker. And so she was like, I think you guys might have the wrong one. I don't think it's me, Mary Parker, who you meant to arrest. But Martha Sprague said it was definitely they had the right woman. And it said that Mary Parker may have been senile, like not in her right mind. So she was executed on September 22nd. Anne Pudator was also a widow. A widow. She had worked for many years as a nurse and a midwife. She was accused in May of 1692 by Sarah Churchill. And so they search her house and they find a bunch of medical supplies and they seize them and say that these must be related to her witchcraft, even though she was a nurse and midwife for mm. most of her life. <laughs> so, and she came out in court and said that the girls were all liars, like the young girls. Yeah. But it did not help save her. She was executed on September 22nd. Wilmot Red, she's the wife of fisherman Samuel Red, and she had also been accused of witchcraft previously. She was the daughter of George Burroughs, who we talked about earlier, the reverend, the one who went to Harvard. Her daughter was his wife. So again, another family connection. Wilmot Red's daughter was married to George Burroughs, the reverend, who was also executed for witchcraft. Wilmot Red was accused in May, and she had never actually met any of the afflicted girls, not a single one of them. So several Marblehead residents where she lived had testified against her and she was executed on September 22nd, which where she lived in Marblehead, she was pretty unpopular because her personality was outspoken again. Then we have Elizabeth Howe, who's 57 years old. She's the wife of James Howe and he's a farmer. She was also accused of witchcraft previously and she, nothing really came of that, but she's executed on July 19th, 1692. Samuel Wardwell, he's 49 years old. He's a farmer and a carpenter, but he was also a fortune teller, which is what led to his accusations. And once he's arrested, his wife and daughter are also arrested and he does confess and say that the devil took advantage of him. He made a pact with the devil, but then he recants that confession. So he is executed on September 22nd. Abigail Faulkner, she's the daughter of Andover's minister, Francis Dane. We heard about her early, Francis Dane earlier. Gosh, whose nieces? Hold on. He is that minister who was against the witch trials, which was, gosh, do you remember? No. Mm. There's so many oh, names. Martha Carriers uh, is his niece. So Martha Carrier, she was the one who, um, she was outspoken against it. She was the one who the Cotton Mather said was responsible for the smallpox outbreak. And she was the queen of hell. She is Francis Dane's um, niece. And then uh, Abigail Faulkner is Francis Dane's daughter. So you notice a pattern. Like anyone who's against the witch trials, anyone connected to those against the witch trials, mm -hmm. they're all getting um, accused. So Abigail, she was wealthy. She was socially upstanding. 
and her husband had become ill, Francis Faulkner. So he, oh, yeah, so Francis Dane is her dad. That confused me for a second. And then Francis Faulkner is her husband. They have the same first name. He becomes ill, so she is going to inherit his estate and have all this control of his property, which was more property than most of the men in Andover, and they were jealous. So this ends up being another reason why she is accused of witchcraft. Margaret Scott, she's 77 years old. She's a widow. She had seven children, but only a few of them had survived. And then her husband had died in 1671. She was really poor. She was a beggar. She needed help from her neighbors and they didn't love that. So she was accused by two notable families where she lived over in Rowley and she was executed on September 22nd. So when someone would accuse someone of being a witch, they would enter a complaint with a local magistrate or justice of the peace. And if the accuser was credible, then the person was arrested. And apparently it didn't take much to be credible, as we can tell. Mm -hmm. You can be like 12 and just throwing a fit. So warrants were served and the accused would be bound and brought in for interrogation. The accused witch was urged to confess, and then whether she did or not, after interrogation, she was handed over to court for trial. Examinations of their body were done. They would just strip them naked in a room full of people and look for those witch's marks. And then they would call additional witnesses, have people testify against them, and these witnesses would explain past wrongs, unexplained deaths, or anything that was suspicious in the accused past. So we saw like most of them like went to trial in the beginning of the month and then were executed like a couple weeks later or whatever. But that first one, Bridget Bishop, the first person hanged, she was arrested, went to trial, found guilty and executed all in the same day. They just brought her in, did her trial and executed her right after. So at this time during these court proceedings, judges accepted that subjects had to give permission for the devil to use their vessel for witchcraft. So they use as evidence if people testified that they saw this person in spirit form hurting them because they said the accused witch, in order for that person to see their spirit, the accused witch would have had to give the devil permission to use what they looked like. So that was used as legit evidence at that time. And then later after the witch trials, there's like a new court that gets made and they are not allowed to use that as evidence in court anymore, which is great. Mm -hmm. And then there was this other thing they did. You know, we talked about how they tie the witches up and put them in the water. They'd look for marks. There's a couple other things they did. They would make this thing called a witch cake, which can you guess what that is? Uh, you eat it so it's rye milk mixed with the urine of an afflicted girl so one of the girls who was being bewitched would somehow get their pee to the people and they would make this cake and then they would have a dog eat it which i'm like poor dog (laughs) it's disgusting and if the dog had like a similar fit or anything weird happen then they believe that the girl was in fact bewitched by whatever witch she was claiming bewitched her and that that bewitchment like remained in her urine and passed on to the dog 
Mm. Wow. <laughs> like really logical, yeah, really logical really. evidence here. And then they would also do the touch test. So they would accuse, they would blindfold the accused witch. And then whatever girl was having a spastic fit, like laying on the ground, freaking out, crying out, the witch would touch the girl. And if the girl stopped having a fit, she was a witch. <laughs> oh. So obviously the girls are doing it on purpose. Uh-huh. They get touched and they're like, they stop. they stop. I cannot imagine doing this, knowing you are literally the reason people are dying. Like, yeah, I'm gonna make sure this girl this lady dies. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop moving. So again, we heard like they examined for moles and birthmarks, they searched houses for puppets or any books that seemed to be witchcrafty. Two of the people convicted, like I said, were pregnant. So Elizabeth Proctor, who we talked about, and then Abigail Faulkner. Both of them were pregnant, so they were not executed, and they both survived. And then a few people who had sentences that were not carried out were Anne Foster. She died in prison. And then her daughter, Mary Lacey, Abigail Hobbs, and two other people were convicted, but their sentences were never carried out. In the dungeons, we talked about they were like horrible conditions. The witches were weighted down. They were starved. They were humiliated. And a lot of times these physical examinations of their bodies were done in the dungeons or they'd be brought to like an office or a house and, you know, the crowd would gather and they would examine their bodies. On top of marks and moles being looked for, <laughs> they would also look from a, for a third tit. <laughs> That they claimed a spirit would drink from. <laughs> Interesting. So a third nipple that some evil spirit or the devil would suckle on. Okay. Not sure if they found that on anybody. I mean, some people do have third nipples, right? Yeah. <laughs> so if you had that, you were screwed. <laughs> 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 because they think you were breastfeeding. Uh, the devil. This, yep. And then, um, you know, of course, women's boobs would be examined multiple times a day, which is not shocking because these creeps and if they had any lactation or anything coming out of their boobs, this was recorded multiple times and discussed in court. And you know some of them were pregnant. So some of them may have been lactating. <laughs> or maybe some of them had babies. Like, you know, it's so odd. These were just a bunch of creepy weirdos examining yeah. them. So, you know, during this time, they also had what they called witch hunters. And they would go door to door in Salem and ask these people who the witches are around. And I think a lot of people felt pressure to name someone in fear of being named. Mm-hmm. So on October 3rd, 1692, the, um, a minister named Increase Mather, that is who stopped the court from taking that spectral evidence, the evidence of spirits being used in, as actual evidence. So this evidence had been accepted all year. It's part, it was used in many of the court proceedings, but then... Governor Phipps, we talked about him in the beginning. He was the governor of Massachusetts. His wife, Mary, was brought in and interrogated on suspicion of being a witch. 
This is when he decided he would set the rest of the accused people free and the trials would come to an end. Of course. So it just took like one prominent person. Well, you know, one of the big prominent people. His wife was brought in and he's like, never mind. We're done with this. Good. So he dismantled the entire court that was in place and replaced it with the Superior Court of Judicator. I don't know. So the court judges now were William Stowen, Thomas Danforth, John Richards, Waitstill Winthrop, and Samuel Seawall. And by May of 1693, so the next year, Governor Phipps pardoned all of the remaining people. So like I said, fast. Started in 1692. By 1693, everyone who's not executed is pardoned. And on October 17th, 1711... So a while later, how many years is that? Like 20 almost. The surviving accused and families had pushed for a bill to pardon some of the executed victims. So some of their families are like, hey, you pardoned these people who were alive. Pardon our family members. They were not witches. Like you guys murdered them. In 1957, so more modern day, like not long ago, Uh, The Massachusetts governor did sign a bill officially apologizing for the witch trials and clearing the names of the remaining victims. It just read Anne Pewditor and certain other persons. By October 31st of 2001, the Massachusetts, they amend the 1957 apology and they write out clearing the names of specific victims. So they had said Anne Pewditor and certain other persons, the other people that were not named as pardoned yet were Bridget Bishop, Susanna Martin, Alice Parker, Margaret Scott, and Wilmot Red. So everyone's officially pardoned by 2001. And in 1992, there was a Salem witch trial memorial built on the 300th anniversary. And then the city of Danvers built the Salem Village Witchcraft Village in memory in a memorial to honor the victims and literally nothing ever happened to the accusers or those families the putnams the parises they literally just went on living their lives and i don't know you would think that people would be like those people are crazy but yeah i think everyone was kind of involved but like such a weird hysteria for just one year Mm. in my mind it was longer And I guess people were executed for being witches before that. You know, like it said in Massachusetts, there were 11 women and one men before this. But I believe it's 19 people in total that were executed this year. You know, in 1692. Yeah. So you went from 11 here and there. I wonder if this Salem or whatever, like, ever celebrates witches. I know. Like... (laughs) I'm sure they do stuff for it, it like out a there. Touristy. Yeah, I've never been to Massachusetts. I've heard of people who have gone and they said it's pretty like somber, like at the memorials. Yeah. Because you know so many people were killed there. Mm-hmm. But I don't they should celebrate the witches. <laughs> like the, it I mean that's sad. That would have been a scary time even just to live there. Yeah. You're doing everything you can to just not be involved. One of your family members gets involved and you're just like, no, (laughs) I'm next. It's coming. So, yeah, 
I cannot believe that actually happened, and that is the Salem Witch Trials. Thanks for listening. I host, research, write, and edit this podcast. My co-host is Alicia Jenkins. Our palate cleanser is given to us by Charlie Waters. And all our music was created by Jaden Schultz, who you can find on Instagram at In Pajamas Music. Make sure to also find us on Instagram at True Crime X Pod, True Crime EX Pod. Sorry, guys, no palate cleanser. Charlie is sick today and she does not want to record it. She says she feels too cold, so she's getting a break. If you live in Massachusetts, I highly suggest looking into the Crime Stoppers hotline and the Text a Tip program. The non-traceable and unrecorded Crime Stoppers hotline sends information to the Boston Police Department when you put in a tip. And again, it's completely anonymous. Phone numbers remain private and only information provided voluntary will be given to the police. In cases where this tip leads to an arrest and indictment of a murderer, the tipster may receive up to $1,000 in cash. So you can call your anonymous tip to 1-800-494-TIPS or you can text your anonymous tip to CRIME or 27463.